Hey friends, this is Chidima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Chicast, episode 86. We are rocking and rolling, and today I'm on with a new friend. His name is Jake Conroy, and I kind of, he tumbled into my consciousness because I watched What the Health, the documentary advocating, I would say, and educating about a plant-based lifestyle. and. He was in there briefly, and I was like, oh, I should talk to him <laughs> for no other reason but his involvement in that documentary. And so I reached out, and you all know I'm tenacious. And so I got him to come on via Twitter. And so welcome, Jake. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So tell everyone that's listening a little bit about yourself um, in your own words. Sure. Um, I became involved in activism in the mid-90s in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I was 19, 18, and I decided that there were some things in the world that needed to be changed, um, obviously. And um, I kind of decided that a a grassroots do-it-yourself kind of philosophy was the way I wanted to approach it. Um, So I became involved in a lot of different um, uh, movements and causes and protests, but the uh, main thing that I, I focused on was uh, animal rights issues. And so I worked on grassroots do-it-yourself uh, animal rights activism for um, approximately maybe 10 or 15 years. Um, high, but one of the kind of highlights of that that time period was working with a group called uh, Shack or Stop Huntington Animal Cruelty, where we focused on shutting down um, an animal testing laboratory that had a really horrendous um, um, history of animal cruelty and sloppy science um, that were that was bad for both non-human animals and, and humans. Um, so we ran really like a no-nonsense campaign to shut that place down. We were put, uh, because we were so successful going after these, this corporation and the way that we were doing it, we became um, the uh, subject of, of one of the biggest investigations led by the FBI. Um, we were considered one of the biggest threats to the uh, security of the United States for some reason, despite having a very strict nonviolent protest or nonviolent philosophy. Um, we were arrested, uh, charged essentially as domestic terrorists and put in prison for multiple years. Um, I was sentenced to four years in federal prisons, um, which I did in Southern California. Um, that whole ordeal kind of ended for me in 2013. And since then, I've done a lot of public speaking. I've done um, some writing, um, and I've continued on doing activism. Um, I, I do a lot of work um, now in the environmental movement and the environmental justice movements um, with an organization called Rising Tide um, that does like grassroots, uh, nonviolent direct action campaigning um, for environmental justice issues. Um, I work as a as my job with an organization called Rainforest Action Network. And then in my free time, I do an organization called the Seattle uh, Burrito Coalition that makes um, vegan food <clears throat> for um, the homeless communities in, in the Seattle, Seattle area. So that's what keeps me busy right now. Wow. So you said Rainforest? Action Network. Action Network. And then the what's the one that you are involved with that gives um, homeless people It's called the Seattle Burrito Coalition. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay. So that's like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It 
Yeah, it, it, it's a lot, uh, but <clears throat> that's the short version, I suppose. But yeah, no, yeah. I love it. Um, I cannot believe, and I can believe. It's like I use the emoji. I think the emojis. I use a few emojis a lot, and I use the <laughs> laughing, crying emoji and the uh-huh. legit crying emoji a lot. And it's like I feel like we laugh so that we don't cry, especially with what's going on around us, because. Like you are doing your best along with your cohort, right? To make this planet a better place, not just for us to enjoy today, but for tomorrow and our little people. And when our little people grow up and have little people of their own, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're considered a domestic terrorist when there are legitimate domestic (laughs) terrorists running around that are homegrown and get the the freedom. Um, so we'll circle back on that um, because I would like to hear your thoughts on a couple of things. So the, so you were arrested. And so were you released in 2013 or yeah. did the end of the kind of case, or maybe you were released prior and some continuing litigation, that sort of thing. It was a very long process as most uh, legal battles are, but we were arrested. Our homes and offices were raided by the FBI and and Homeland Security in 2003. They took everything. Um, We continued on with the campaign. Um, In 2004, they they basically knocked in our doors at at six o'clock in the morning, um, arrested uh, six people, seven people around the country uh, who they thought were the ringleaders of this organization and this movement. and then we went to trial in 2005. We had a mistrial. I had to start over the start the trial over again in 2006. Found guilty. Um, we were sentenced to prison terms. I went into prison in November, I think, of 2009. I got out. I'm sorry, 2006. Got out. Uh, 37 months later, went into a halfway house in Oakland for six months. Probation for three years, and probation ended. Uh, May of 2013. So it was almost a 10 year process from start to finish. Um, wow. Doing this legal, legal issue. That's crazy. Oh, it is. It's insanity. And I feel like yeah. the insanity is becoming normalized. All of it, you know, for sure. Um, okay. So, wow, that I'm almost speechless. Um, <laughs> because I knew when I read your story, that prison was a part of your story. I just, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's insane. Okay. So what you do now, um, during the pre-call, something you said was really interesting to me about, um, kind of the confluence or, you know, what we talk about a lot on this podcast is like intersectionality. And so Mm -hmm. you cannot talk about, for example, racism without also talking about sexism or, um, inequality amongst genders or you can't talk about this one thing without talking about the other and absolutely one of the reasons that I reached out to you in addition to your role in uh, what the health was I did not know personally until I watched the true cost about the fashion industry how much my I wept when I watched this documentary because I didn't realize how much when I was 19, 20, um, not too much. I mean, I think we're probably around the same age at the university of Michigan forever. 21 was big on the scene at that time. And Mm -hmm. 
we would go every time we would go out, we would stop there first <laughs> to get our $4.90 tank tops, <laughs> right? And $8.90 skirts um, that aren't really skirts. They were more like handkerchiefs, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so we would get those and call it a day. And I didn't know the detriment um, that I was causing the environment as a result of those choices that I was making. And so when I asked you during the pre-call, where is your focus? Is it specifically on animal rights as it relates to the environment? Or do you also talk about um, or look into and are also concerned with the fashion industry, for example, along with the meat industry in this country? So mm -hmm. I wanted to tap into that <clears throat> expertise and experience. Yeah. Um, I, I believe strongly in the idea of collective liberation um, as like a white cis het man. I don't, I choose not to use the term intersectional because I feel like I'm taking that away from, um, sure. you know, black queer feminists that, that started it. Um, so for me, I, I choose the term collective liberation, the idea that all liberation um, struggles are connected and um, by working on one, you're working on, you're working on all of them. Um, I think for a long time, my idea, the idea that like animal rights was the most important thing I could be working on. And that's what I focused on. I think it was like a legit feeling, but I think without, you know, like a broader analysis, like you don't start to realize that all these things are interconnected. So for instance, I work for my day job, I work with an organization called Rainforest Action Network um, and we run multiple campaigns, but one of them is, is against um, uh, what we dub the, the fashion 15, um, the top 15 fashion companies. Um, for their use of, um, um, you know, fabrics like rayon, which I had no idea, but we're part of that is sourced from um, rainforests um, in Indonesia. That a lot of those, like, I don't know the specifics. I'm not an expert on it, but basically, you know, these fabrics are being sourced from rainforests that are being uh, destroyed um, for palm oil production, for you know, fabric and that sort of thing, and they end up in the clothes that we're wearing at Fat Forever Twenty One and. Abercrombie and Fitch and Ralph Lauren and a lot of these companies are changing their, their policies around purchasing these products like Abercrombie and Fitch and Ralph Lauren have both done that in the past year or so. Um, <clears throat> when you start looking at how all these issues are interconnected, um, it's saddening and um, upsetting, but also um, you, I think it's, it makes it easier to realize that like, you know, how interconnected they all are. So by helping, you know, or pushing a company to not use, uh, fabrics that are sourced from the pulp of uh, trees cut down in, in, in Indonesian rainforests, not only are you helping the environment, but you're also, you know, you're helping to protect the habitat of critically endangered animals like the orangutan and the Sumatran rhino, the Sumatran elephant, um, who are critically endangered and their habitats are being destroyed. So you're helping animals. A lot of the stuff is being sourced with forced labor and child labor uh, conditions. So you're also helping um, human issues, you know, human rights issues. Um, and you're just being like a decent human being, which I think is something we should all uh, push to be as well. So um, I, I think it's important to know that like all these issues are, are intertwined and, and how and why they are intertwined and, and what we can do to, to, to help those situations. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, incredibly important. Um, I had made a comment once to a friend and I said, these people are American citizens and they corrected me, they're human beings. And I was like, uh -huh. so true, because I feel like I'm a member of the global community. 
Um, yes, I have a passport that says the United States of America on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, it's larger than, you know, my actions have an impact as yours do. You know, we all have an impact on what else is going on around us. It's not just the here and now, you know, there's more. Um, so when you are, so if someone is interested, for example, in kind of taking a look at their impact, how mm-hmm. would you steer them? If they came to you and said, Jake, I just watched these, because you can go down the documentary rabbit hole pretty <laughs> quickly, right? <laughs> Especially if you have Netflix. Totally. So, um, cause they just cue things up, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. They help you out. They're like, here, this is what you need to watch next. Uh Um, And you're like, I've already been here for five hours. I have to do my dishes. So (laughs) what would you suggest? Like if someone came to you and said, I've watched a couple of things. It's concerning to me. How would you, someone who, for example, may not be plant-based or may be shopping at um, stores that are not ethical stores, um, Mm -hmm. like a Seiko Designs or some other places, what would you suggest for them to do first so as not to overwhelm them? Um, I mean, that's, that's a tough tough question because I think every, every person is different. Sure. Um, I personally believe that um, um, things we can change in our personal lifestyles and, and our everyday interactions are really important whether that's going vegan or not buying a certain product, um, you know, not shopping at this place, um, that type of thing. But ultimately I'm not sure that that lifestyle change alone is what's going to change the planet and change the situation that we're in. Um, so ultimately I think what more importantly than trying to get others to change their lifestyles, I think we need to get corporations and governments to Mm -hmm. change the way that they, um, they operate. Um, so, um, I personally am less concerned in, in people's lifestyle choices, although I think they're important and they're great. Um, but I'm, I'm more interested in getting people involved in activism. Um, and activism looks like a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be on the streets causing problems and, you know, running around yelling with signs. Um, but it can look like letter writing. It can look like, you know, um, it can look like petitions. It can look like, you know, gentle demonstrations. Um, it also can mean doing educational outreach. It can mean raising money for organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think a lot of people have really amazing skills that you might not think nonprofits or organizations would need. Like maybe you're an accountant or maybe <clears throat> you, um, you know, you have a degree in, in finance or something like that. And I think a lot of nonprofit groups don't have access to things like that, you know, or you're an attorney that's, you're, you know, you're able to help out in that way. Um, and I think that's a, an interesting way to start looking at, um, at, at ways you can help. Um, for me, I've done uh, beyond just doing protests and stuff. I've done a lot of design work. Um, mm-hmm. so I, and it's not glamorous. It's not like something you can romanticize. It's like, yeah, I sat in front of a computer for 12 hours and like made a newsletter, but no one else could do it at the time. So I made a lot of newsletters and flyers and videos when a lot of people couldn't. Um, and that's what we needed and it wasn't necessarily the most exciting thing to do, but is what was needed to do. Um, so I think there's a lot of interesting ways you can plug into, to protest movements and organizations beyond just like what pops into your head of like holding signs and chanting and marching in the streets. Sure. No, that's, that's good. It's true. Everyone is different and utilizing what you bring to the table 
in a way that's meaningful to the organization or, you know, the collective around you is incredibly important. For sure. So how did you get involved with the, I wrote it down because I'm getting better at taking notes while I'm talking, <laughs> the Seattle Bur- Burrito Coalition. Cause I think yeah. I want a burrito. Yes. Who doesn't? Right. Uh, <clears throat> they're delicious. And they Very. come in a nice carrying case. That's true. That you get to eat. <laughs> um, yeah, we, um, there was a, um, there was uh, my partner in Los Angeles. She started a group called the Los Angeles Burrito Coalition. That was, um, that was kind of, um, that was uh, formed um, kind of copycatting the burrito project which has been around for decades. So she um, did the burrito project for a long time. She wanted to branch off and do her own thing. So she started the burrito coalition. So I opened the Seattle chapter, uh, the burrito, Seattle burrito coalition. And the idea was to do one thing, right? There's so many terrible things going on in the world right now, particularly under the current uh, Trump regime. And um, you just feel overwhelmed, right? Like there's just like a million things you could be doing. And what you end up doing is sitting on your couch, watching Netflix documentaries. So Um, And I'm certainly guilty of that. So the idea is like, just do one thing. Um, And so uh, we make vegan burritos. We get together a group of friends. We all chip in for the ingredients and we make, um, you know, between a hundred and 150 burritos every couple of weeks. Um, We wrap them up, we get bottled water, we get fruit. Um, Sometimes we get like, you know, snack crackers, things like that. And then our ideas, instead of going to shelters and things like that, we want to reach the, the people that have um, the least access to, to resources. Um, so we go to, you know, people in tents under bridges, you know, um, on the side of the freeways, things like that. And just, you know, walk up, give them some food and, you know, give them someone to talk to if they want or, you know, uh, anything and ask what they need. Um, and so, you know, last time we went out a couple of weeks ago, people were saying, you know, it's getting to become winter. So we need hand warmers. We need socks. We need tarps for our tents. So we've done a drive um, the past couple of weeks to um, collect donations, and we've we've gotten hundreds of pairs of hand warmers, and you know a bunch of tarps, um, a few, couple hundred pairs of socks, and then next week or so we'll, we'll we'll deliver them to to homeless folks in our community. And it's it's a nice easy way to give back. Um, and uh, and the people that are the recipients of the stuff um, are, are really appreciative and, and um, happy to get it. So, um, that's awesome. Okay. Um, so cool. So how can people donate money to the Seattle Burrito Coalition? Well, currently we're not, um, we're not a nonprofit, so we don't, I mean, if people want to give us money, they're welcome to, but they can't, um, get a tax break for it. Sure. Um, but we do a lot of like, uh, Amazon wishlist stuff. So we're currently finishing up that, but you can look for us on uh, Facebook. It's facebook.com slash burrito coalition. Um, and we're on there. Okay. 
and you can find different ways to help and also to join in if you're in the Los Angeles area, if you're in the Seattle area, or if you'd like to just start a chapter in your area, that's um, something we can help you with as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I may connect you with some friends that I think this could be right up. I don't want to say not my alley too, because it is up my alley, but uh -huh. this might be, you know, sometimes you just have to determine to your point about everyone's different. Uh -huh. The bandwidth you have to be a part of, you know, like I'm a big into essential oils and ethical mm -hmm. fashion. And so sometimes adding stuff makes sense and sometimes not adding stuff, but connecting good people to good people makes yeah. sense too. Um, For sure. So I, right. So it, uh, I'm glad you brought up the current administration because I wanted to ask you about that. Um, in the past, many people have said, I'm myself included, and I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but that's okay. Uh -huh. When my forever President Obama was in office, I was not really concerned with who the White House press secretary was, who are, um, who was manning the, or heading up the EPA was who was the education secretary or, you mm -hmm. know, secretary of state. I wasn't that concerned because it appeared, I could be wrong. I'm often wrong, but it appeared that the people for whom were in those roles um, actually brought skills that were demonstrative of what was necessary. And it appears now since, January 21st, 2017 to now, that the people that are in these cabinet positions have positions, personal positions and professional positions that are in terms of their point of view um, and the way they look at the world that are in direct conflict with the very position that they are being handed. Is that mm -hmm. fair? Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't know. I mean, I, I made calls myself and with laryngitis, I told you I had laryngitis mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year. I made calls and I faxed and I emailed and, um, against, I think his first name is Scott Pruitt. So uh -huh. what are your thoughts around that? I mean, we've already talked about how people can get involved despite what's going on, but what are your thoughts kind of about what's happening and what the future could look like for us? Um, we're all doomed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, to be honest, like I don't put a lot of faith in our government whether it's what it is now or what it's been in the past. Sure. Uh, I just, I think even just the way that we are now like on social media, propping up George Bush as this like amazing, like hero. It's like, that guy was a war criminal. I mean, even Obama, not to say, you know, I know he's your forever president, but like that guy put more people, more whistleblowers in prison than any other president in history. That guy started more wars in the middle East, killed more people in the middle East than George Bush did. But like, so I think we, we often look at our past and like with, you know, rose lens glasses, but, um, but ultimately I think what we need to remember is like, particularly now, this is the, this is awful, awful, awful. And we cannot rely on the government 
either Democrats or Republicans to, to fix it. I think it's up to us to fix it. And, sure. and I really believe that there's people power. Um, the people power is, is where it's at. And yeah. grassroots organizing, um, do-it-yourself campaigns, and fighting back any way that you really feel that you can, whether that's voting or whether that's you know, running campaigns or, or changing the communities that we live in or just taking care of the communities that we live in. Um, I think there's real power in that. And um, I, I, I think now more than ever, we need to be fighting back. And I think um, if anything comes out of this administration, I think um, it's the idea that like we have the power of, as people to, to push back in big ways and be successful. And I think we've seen a little bit of that little rays of light um, with like the, the Muslim ban um, sure. when thousands and if tens of thousands of people show up at airports, you know, uh, you know, at a drop of drop of a hat, everyone shows up um, was remarkable. Um, yeah. People that have like are finally pushing back against white supremacy in this country in a way that, um, you know, we haven't seen in quite some time, um, obviously like way overdue, but um it's being pushed to the forefront um, again, which I think is really important. Um, so it's, it's, it's incredibly frightening times. Um, and I think also um, I hope that we respond in a way that is suitable for the, for um, the way that we are being attacked as, as individuals and as communities. Yeah, it's true. I made a essential oil blend with um, some of my doTERRA oils and <laughs> I call it um, everything's going to be okay because we're badasses because we're going to make it okay, you know? Uh So to your point, there's not an option at this point to rely on what we've always relied on, right? Because that's insanity. And there, I mean, we have a two-party system, which could be part of the issue too, and not enough here, you know, the collective. Um, and we've, I think we've just kind of settled into what feels comfortable. And now we're finally, some people are finally feeling a little bit of discomfort and willing to do some work to yeah. kind of get to a place that we feel a little bit better about. There was one more thing that I wanted to ask you. Okay, yes. So what do you say, Jake, to people? I suspect knowing you for just this short time, I may know what you're going to say. But what do you say to people who are overly passionate, Mm -hmm. really, really passionate about veganism or about ethical fashion or about any other thing that we've kind of talked about environmental um justice and their community is not getting on board so what would you say to that person to kind of inspire them to continue um and do it in a way that still honors the relationships they have while people may not feel the same way that they do at present time. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, I think it's going to be different in every situation in terms of like specifics, but ultimately like um, in my experiences, you don't always need like a huge group of people to rally behind you to make really amazing change. And just looking at the history of, 
of social justice movements from, you know, the suffragette movement, the civil rights movement, um, you know, in, again, I think it's like that idea that we kind of like put on those, those rose colored lenses and look at history and be like, Oh, like, look at all the great things that happened. It's like, those were like serious, serious struggles. Like people were killed. People were, you know, murdered. Um, people went to prison and I'm not saying I want those things to happen to anyone, of course, but like they, they were not in the majority back then. They were in the minority, very much so of, of public opinion. Um, but they managed to change the world in like really huge and remarkable ways. Um, and so I always think a, a little bit about that, I guess, um, just how such a small group of people who, if they're passionate and strong enough, um, and, uh, and creative enough, really. And ultimately I think that's what it comes down to is creativity, um, is, is what I think will end up changing the world. Um, I think, um, one of my favorite quotes is by Bobby Seale, the, the co-founder of the Black, Part, Black Panther Party, who said that in order to have a successful movement, you have to capture the imagination of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, like that has always been kind of my, my motto, like not my motto, but like his, his saying, of course, but like mm-hmm. um, my way of thinking, like you have to capture the imagination of the people. You have to get the people interested in, in, in creative ways around your issues to get them to start thinking about them, to get, to start, get them to start acting on it. But ultimately, that spark is going to come from a very small group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it can feel very disheartening when it's like you and three other people doing your thing or two other people or it's just you, you know, doing it by yourself. Um, it's very disheartening. It's very easy to just say, I'd much rather watch Netflix for five hours. And I, I do it myself. Sure. I believe sure. in self-care. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, you have, you have to keep pushing on because I think you never know what's going what's gonna to change. Um, things in really big ways. And I've seen that in my own activism. And I've seen that in, in, you know, reading about the histories of other movements and just saying, wait, like they did what with how many people? Like, that's insane. Like, it's, it's amazing. It's inspirational. So I, I think there's a lot of places to turn for inspiration and, and ultimately like to look towards yourself to become your own hero. That's true. Yeah. That reminds me of the Margaret Mead quote, never mm-hmm. doubt that a small group of thoughtful committed citizens can change the world indeed it's the only thing that ever has so for sure to your point so you mentioned self-care um Mm -hmm. a couple more questions yeah what do you do to self-care besides netflix (laughs) that's about it um no i i i was never in self-care i just i always put myself last i always um teetered on the edge of burnout um and i it wasn't until recently like the past few years um, where I realized that like self-care is so important and, 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 and self-care is like a revolutionary act, really. Like if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. Um, and I kind of was forced into self-care, which probably is not the best way, but I was on probation after I got out of prison. I was not able to really engage in demonstrations or put myself in any sort of risk. I was like, well, what do I do now? I was like, Oh, I guess I can find a hobby. Like I'm in my thirties. I've never had a hobby in my adult life besides Mm -hmm. activism. Um, I went to therapy. Um, I found a really great therapist who I was with for six years and like, she totally changed my life or we changed my life together. Um, yeah. Um, and I just made sure to take time to do things that made me happy, you know, um, whether that is watching Netflix or going for a walk or going camping or even like give yourself permission to do totally ridiculous things that normally you'd be like, that's embarrassing. I'd never tell you. You know what I mean? It's like sit on your couch for six hours and watch movies. Like it's okay. That's right. Uh, 
yeah, make yourself happy. We all deserve to be happy. You know, we're all fighting to make others happy in, in this, this world. And like, it's okay to like also appreciate those happy things that we're creating. So true. So last question, what was the thing that you looked forward to the most when you were released from prison? Uh, vegan food. <laughs> I was going to uh, ask you about that because I was like, I cannot imagine. <laughs> it was very difficult to be vegan throughout prison, but I managed to do it mostly wow. because I'm super stubborn. Um, but also I just had that feeling like I did not want to feel like I was broken by the system. The system incarcerates millions of people every year with the intent to break them, right? To break them as people, to break their mm-hmm. spirits. Um, and it's, I see how it works after being in it for four years in really, really intense situations. Um, yeah, it, it works. Um, and so my goal when I went into prison was to try to come out as close to the person I was when I went in. Um, so I always tried to laugh. I always had to try to have, uh, you know, crack a joke once a day, like find something to laugh at when I was in prison. Um, and I think when I got out, my immediate thing was like, I just want some, some like vegan cookies and vegan ice cream because I hadn't eaten like any good food in four years. Um, but mostly what I wanted was to make sure that like I maintain that sense of self, um, and that I could still be the person that I wanted to be and not feel broken by the system. Sure. That's awesome. Awesome. Okay. So it's decided. I want you definitely to come back on. (laughs) I'd love to. This like flew by. Um, yeah. I really appreciate you sharing your story and being so honest with myself and those that are listening to this episode. It's really, really amazing. And um, I just feel so humbled to have had the opportunity to speak with you. Oh, thanks. I appreciate you having me on and taking the time to speak to me. Absolutely. So let's see what Humans of New York has to say. All right. So it appears to be a young gentleman and he says, I dropped out of college to start my own business. Some study the roots and others pick the fruit. So that's cool. Then let's see. A group of what appears to be young men um, and a teacher. What's your greatest struggle as a teacher and some boys? I have to be strict to help them improve. But if I'm strict, they think I'm against them. So these are stories from Kampala, Uganda. Mm-hmm. And then one more, um, a father and three of his children. What's the most important thing your dad has ever taught you? If someone hurts your feelings, don't worry, because that person will also have a turn to get their feelings hurt. And also, you should never undermine people or make them feel unimportant. And also, if you drop out of school, he won't deal with you anymore. (laughs) That's a good father. (laughs) Um, Cool. All right, friends. Thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Uh, I appreciate your comments. And share this episode with someone else. Let's see. I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I'm in that place in me, there's only one of us.
So have a gratitude-filled day, friends. My name is Chadima, also known as the Type A Hippie. This is the Type A Hippie podcast. Ah, I lost you. I know, but it's okay because we're just <laughs> and like we we just were because this is new beginning. This is like instead of the um the first hundred days, this is the first hundred episodes. So perfect. Once, once I go more professional, profesh as the millennials say, <laughs> um, it's gonna be all good. All right, so let's see where we were at. Okay. I'll just, I'll just do this again. So I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I'm in that place in me, there's only one of us. So friends have a gratitude filled day. My name is Chidima, also known as the type A hippie. This is the type A hippie podcast, TCAS episode 86. Thanks so much. Namaste.